Okay, welcome. Uh, I'm Harriet and I'm this year's co-chair of the Mental Health Committee and I'm here with... Um, Gabriella, I am also co-chair of a committee known as the EDI Committee and I can't wait to be one of the deputy heads of college for the next academic year. Miss Oliver, I'm one of the English teachers here and I'm really looking forward to taking part in this conversation. Yeah, Miss Joey, same here, uh, except I'm a French teacher. <laughs> Those are different languages, yeah. Okay, <laughs> um, and today we're going to be discussing what racism and racial bias, unconscious or conscious, looks like in our current British society and in Wellington. So, firstly, I want to go around the um, table and kind of let you describe what role you have in college and, like, um, why you're interested in this subject and why you're willing to discuss it. So, Gabby... Well, um, as I mentioned before, I am one of the co-chairs of the EDI committee, which stands for Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. And um, one of the main reasons why I went for this role is because I came from a predominantly black school and now I'm in a predominantly white school. So I feel like it should come from someone like me who's able to experience these like racial prejudices and uh, kind of put a stop to it or someone who might not be able to recognize it because they haven't gone through like the same experience that I have gone through. So it's easier for me to like pick out, oh, this shouldn't happen, mm -hmm. this should happen. And um, yeah, I just found it really personal to me and uh, yeah that's good madame jawi um well i'm really interested in this um well i guess first of all i'm in i've been doing global citizenship society mm -hmm. here and i'm going to be uh leading the social justice strand of this so oh. edi comes comes into this quite well uh on a more personal level i'm obviously french mm -hmm. so uh this is a topic that that um would um interest me obviously and also um, I'm ethnically half Moroccan, Ooh. so in the UK it doesn't really matter, but in France uh, there is a, a question of racial bias uh, in this in this um, area. Yeah, and I am an English teacher, as I mm -hmm. said beforehand. I think that is relevant more than what what people might initially yeah. think it is, because I think within this conversation there is certainly the idea that language is incredibly important in the way that we talk about yeah. and the way that we explore um, issues regarding EDI. Um, that said, I also have a, a personal um, interest in this as well, being one of what I think I can say a few black members of, mm -hmm. I think that puts me perhaps in a unique position to be able to speak on certain experiences and gives me a perspective similar to Gabby that I can share yeah. on being in a community that's perhaps different to where I have been beforehand or where I've grew, mm. grown up elsewhere. Um, personally, one of the reasons why I was so interested to do this is actually because I have only ever been taught by one black teacher. Uh, all other teachers I've had my entire, however long old I am, years of life, um, they've all been white. I've never been taught by a black teacher. And it's only when I came to Wellington that I realised that that's not normal and also like why is it not normal I realize that that's a thing that shouldn't I shouldn't have to realize at some point it was it's weird but um I think we should now try and talk about what we've like not witnessed but like what we understand in a school-wide environment at the moment, just to warm up, um, what we understand and what we've witnessed of racial bias and racism in like every, I guess everyday life, yeah. So, anyone wanna start? I think we're kind of looking at the wider understanding of what 
racial bias can look like. Um, So I think it it can be broken down into a number of different levels. Um, You can have a look at what has been reported as as structural Mm. um, unconscious bias, something that means that within an institution, within a a structure, there are certain barriers for people of colour, for minorities that are perhaps not easily seen and I I dwell on that not easily seen aspect because I think that's sometimes the most difficult to articulate yeah um so that there are things within a structure that can prevent perhaps success um and sort of the welcoming of people of color as well yeah um and then that can be broken down further into kind of individual attitudes where perhaps individuals can express themselves in a way that makes somebody of color feel as that they are not welcome within yeah. that particular society or that particular community mm. now this sometimes can perhaps uh, arguably be come from a place of ignorance People are unaware that perhaps Mm -hmm. they're making somebody else feel that way through what their actions or their words. Um, Or it can come from a a place that is sadly a little bit darker than that. And I think that's easier to see sometimes, um, but equally as as problematic, if not more so. That brings up the conversation of conscious versus unconscious, Mm -hmm. like racism Mm -hmm. and racial bias, but... If you look at unconscious, for instance, if I were to give you a practical example as, you know, a mm. um, female foreigner um, in any workplace, really, you would have this question. We were just talking about it with Miss Oliver um, about accent, for example, yeah. and the unconscious bias that you have against different accents. So within even like UK accents, like a northern accent will not have this. You will not have the same bias against a northern accent or I don't know, an East London accent that you yeah. will have against an, what we call RP, which is like just. BBC English. Um, and then in the same way, um, if I were to speak with a French accent or if I were to not have um, the right vocabulary to say some things, I would be seen as perceived as less intelligent yeah. or less competent. Um, and so in a lot of ways, there's, I'm just taking the example of language because I'm yeah. a linguist, but there's a lot of those different ways in which you can be perceived at something and that could um, hinder your advancement in life, uh, that could hinder your relationships as well yeah. in, in some cases, uh, and that could also, um, in in a, in a case of a, of a school, that could change the way pupils, other staff perceive you and the way you are, you're, you're treated as a result. Um, so I think this is always something we need to keep in mind. I, de- we- I definitely agree with that. And like, it is something that I definitely seen a lot of, but at the same time, I, it, it's completely insane to me because this isn't your first language that so you've come from a completely different country. You've come to wherever you've gone to and you're speaking basically complete nonsense compared to what you've grown up with and like no and I I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that I stutter as as someone who I only speak one language like I stutter I don't I can't find words so why should someone be perceived differently mm-hmm. when they can't yeah you'd think bilingualism yeah. is a marker mm. of intelligence yeah exactly this is yeah. yeah yeah especially knowing like you speak English better than I could ever speak French do you know what <laughs> I mean <laughs> so Thank you. I'm, 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 but your Spanish is good. You'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks, well, uh, from a day-to-day aspect, um, as a white person, I've witnessed a lot of my friends, like, 
not have access to resources that their white friends would have had. So, for example, the wrong colour of tights being provided with them because it's skin colour, but obviously it's beige. So it's not uh, accessible to them because it does the completely wrong thing. Or, like, it's little things like that. And, like, um, at the school shop, we don't sell shampoo or conditioner that would suit a very large amount of people's hair types. But... I like it, it. It's those everyday things that, like, if I was living in this environment and felt like I was different, I think those would be the little things that got to me. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said earlier, the bigger things when people are ignorant or just oh, kind of horrible, the, the those things can ignorance or from I guess mm-hmm. hatred. Whereas those little people not acknowledging that you exist, mm-hmm. I think that's where harm could really come through and kind of constantly yeah i think that's very well articulated i think when you reinforce a norm it also reinforces that those that aren't in that norm are an afterthought exactly and that can become a little bit problematic yeah to say the least and it's like i'm really into makeup and like it took rihanna making fendi for a very large amount of people to not have the right fountain like to have the right foundation shade and luckily everyone in the industry has followed after but the fact that it took so long for so many people to just be able to wear makeup comfortably is ridiculous to me i I, obviously i didn't use makeup when i was much younger but it only when i was capable of consciously wearing makeup was at the point that people who had been much older than me could wear it at the same time so i think that's ridiculous but yeah i'm quite interested in gabby mostly because we don't know each other and it's quite Mm. interesting to hear from somebody who is relatively newer to the wellington community so is there anything that you'd have to add about unconscious bias conscious bias in the wider society or in the community we find ourselves in what was your first impression of the school once you came and lived here well, when I first of all, when I came to visit the school, like, um, you know, I'd be going through the website, going through the prospectuses and then I'd see like, like I'd see someone with the same skin colour as me and I'd be like, OK, so I'll, I'll be fine in that school. And then I come here and I see no one that looks like me or I like see like one of the very few teachers that literally have like the same skin color as me. And I'd be like, wait, what's going on here? And then um, when I actually started to live at the school, you know, I actually didn't face any specific like racial bias. And that shocked me because in my head, straight away I came here preparing to face something like that. And it just didn't happen. So I was like, oh, okay. And when, after speaking to a few of the other um, students of color that have been here since third form, they told me all like the racial bias that has happened towards them. Most of it, they have agreed it's most likely unconscious. And the fact that they've now educated people when it's time for new students like me to now enter the school, I don't have to face the same bias that they did. So um, I think like it's really important to really open up the conversation and continue to have conversations like this so people can ask questions and people can be more conscious about what they say and how they say it. Yeah. I think we, yeah, a huge round of applause or silent round of applause to those uh, OWs, those people mm. that have been in the community that, as yeah. you say, maybe have paved the way for it to be a, um, a welcoming atmosphere for yourself. The thing I'd like to add to that is 
perhaps from a teaching point of view mm-hmm. as well. You know, we want to create a, a world in which sometimes we protect our students. And um, sometimes I wonder about the burden that perhaps students of colour or people of colour in a community in which they are minorities um, uh, in terms of population, that burden that they have to, as you say, educate others. They've come mm-hmm. to be educated. Yeah. Other people pay their fees to be educated, yet there's still that desire, that need for them to take on that role of, of educating others. So I think that's something that we have to be mindful of because that is a weight and that is a burden. So in terms of understanding their experience or expecting that from them, that's something that I think we have to be careful about. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why like, I find it so important and also kind of inspirational that you came in and I think it was in the first two weeks of terms you were interviewed for the EDI committee you hadn't even like changed your bed sheets by the time <laughs> you, you had made it like I thought I was so cool and it it really showed like how much you kind of respected the school and like cared for it as well as wanted it to like grow and I thought I was so cool to be able to come to school immediately and just lay out what you wanted to do I thought you're so sweet yeah exactly okay um moving on to a bit wider than school life wider society <laughs> it's a big one but um what what how in British society specifically are people of color I don't know like put lesser than everyone else like, like I guess mm-hmm. And how I get, I also want to go slightly into how that affects them. Mm-hmm. I think, um, of course, not being British, take everything I say with a pinch of salt. Um, but I feel like this is still the same in a variety of Western countries, mm-hmm. um, but there are still so many stereotypes, oh, yeah. I think, uh, that are still long lived. And we're lucky that we're in a school environment, as we said, where the bias is mostly unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, where people, if they've grown up in a majority white environment, then, you know, they will just kind of not have the knowledge of what it is to, uh, that EDI is. Um, but then if you look at probably yeah, wider British society, I think those stereotypes are quite hurtful still. Yeah. Um, and we're, when we're talking people of colour, quite often, you know, the first thought would be like black people. Mm-hmm. But I think quite often those affect, um, you know, Asian minorities quite mm-hmm. a bit in a very different way. And we might think that in some cases, you know, there's always that idea that there is always a little bit of truth and stereotypes. So I, I think it really depends. I think we need to be very careful when we when we look at that and when we I think agree. that, especially mm-hmm. if those are harmful stereotypes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And looking from a, you know, again, teacher, but also just adult in the workforce, um, it's much harder uh, to get to those higher paying jobs, very mm-hmm. skilled jobs, um, if you're a person of colour. Um, and depending on your social class, there's always an intersection between social class and colour. There's an intersection between gender and race. There's all of these intersections that can mean um, that you're basically going to have less opportunities, as okay. you're going to say. And even if you do get those opportunities, um, will your life be able to adapt to those um, is a completely different thing. I think. And so 
I think generally you will have to fight for what you have or what you want to have a bit more um, if you are a person of colour. Yeah. Quickly, before we move on, I just wanted to, off the top of my head, I just remembered, obviously, women are a minority. Everyone here is a woman. <laughs> um, and uh, um, obviously we get we tend to get paid less than men. But then the statistics that are usually st- showed for that is like 80 cents on the dollar. But that's if you're a white woman mm-hmm. compared to men. Um, all other women of colour is significantly less than that. And so when talking about the workforce and stuff like that and salaries and getting paid, I, I don't think it's recognised as much as it should be that like, yeah, you can you could get that top job if everything happened the way it was. That doesn't mean you'd be getting paid the right amount for doing the same amount of work as pretty much anyone else, which is... Mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah. <laughs> but yeah um there's a little bit of perhaps a a, a difficult climate um that has occurred as a result of that i mean mm-hmm. i think you're, you were talking about people in in certain jobs and i don't personally think that you have to have a role model that looks and speaks and sounds like you but many people have said that it helps so it's very difficult sometimes to look up and not see anything mm-hmm. that resembles you or see anything that you can that reflects you um so sometimes you wonder how to make that route mm-hmm. um if because people tend to to gravitate towards those that are similar to them um so you're hoping that you can find that route in some sort of way um, and then there's a sort of paranoia is undermining, but what I want to talk about is that idea of, um, we still know that these statistics are in the ether. We know that they're in society. Yeah. So perhaps you do go for a, a certain, um, role or job outside in the wider world and you don't get that. Perhaps you're not, um, experienced in a certain way. Perhaps there's a certain area that isn't um, being satisfied, but there's something in the back of your mind that makes you wonder, am I another one of these statistics that doesn't, that, that is there a reason why I haven't got this job that's beyond my control? Is that the yeah. colour of my skin? Um, so I think that's a really difficult thing to have to to wrestle with because that's yeah. quite an internal conversation mm-hmm. that you can have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things in this country are under the surface. It's very difficult for someone to say, excuse me, did I not get that job because of the colour of yeah. my skin no one's going to say <laughs> yes uh, uh, so, wait no yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's quite hard for these conversations to be yeah. always on the surface especially because it's like at that point you're thinking to yourself is this internalised racism now mm-hmm. because for you to sit there and say oh I might not have gotten the job because I'm of a certain skin colour that's it's like you're sitting there and you're like belittling yourself by mm-hmm. doing that mm-hmm. but at the same time you have to be realistic and see that there are patterns where this has happened before in the past. You don't want to think like that, but sometimes your mind kind of forces you to, because like you can't rule out everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we talked about mental health as well. Mm. Um, it can be quite detrimental to yourself to internalize your the, the racism that you're receiving from others, as in, if you get to the point where you do not even apply for the position or where you do not even do this thing yeah. because you've internalized, that oh, it's not for me, it's not for me, they're never gonna, you know. Uh, and of course, we're in an environment where more and more, you know, people of color are encouraged and are supported and all of this. But honestly, depending on how you've grown up, 
it might be that you've internalized parts of that more or less. And so if you've grown up in a regular, in a relatively hostile environment, well, then you will be, you will have less and less opportunities because you will self-sabotage. Yeah. And, and you won't even try to, to get those opportunities, to try to, to change your situation because you will think, oh, it's not, it's, it's not worth it. It's yeah. not, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to get that. That's why I'm um, very grateful, like, especially where I grew up, because um, I went to a predominantly black school, like I said before. So there was never the thought that, oh, because of my skin colour, like I shouldn't be going for like these positions in school. Like I ended up being head girl at my old school. So when I came here, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going for these major positions. And sometimes I sat there and I was like, oh, well, it's not the same as my old school. Maybe I shouldn't. But then when I look at what I've done before in the past, and then I have a conversation with myself and say, my skin color shouldn't make me now rethink my kind of choices to go for those main positions. Because if I did think like that, and if I went through with what I was thinking, I wouldn't be where I am today. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, something else I wanted to talk about, especially since we have two language teachers here, is... Mm language and also literature i would like to say um surrounding people of color mm. um also like the use of slurs mm. how little people of or authors of color are used in school curriculums like stuff like that how how do you think that affects <clears throat> like school and i guess society because those two tend to go hand in hand um yeah i mean in terms of the use of slurs within text, I think you've kind of been through the, the English yep. curriculum. So you know that there are a few uh, texts that feature Of Mice and Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. that feature racial slurs. And, you know, I have a very personal philosophy on this, being an English teacher that does engage in those texts. And that I practically think that if you say the N-word... Everybody knows what I mean when I say the words, the N-word. There's no need yeah. to make that any more explicit mm -hmm. um, than that. So I think having that sort of understanding of what's happening in your classroom um, means that everybody can have a, a, a degree of comfort in exploring the text. The texts themselves, the themes themselves are uncomfortable and they are perhaps kind of, you know, destabilizing when somebody comes across that in the text. I think it's really important we have an obligation to reiterate that these texts are developed of their time, okay? Yeah. They're almost like historical pieces. And that when we're talking about specific characters, we've also chosen texts that choose to highlight the experiences of people of colour in a way that wasn't happening. Yeah. So we have to keep that at the heart of our teaching mm. and not ignore the fact that it has a racial slur, but understand what it gives to amplifying voices and experiences of people of colour, mostly in America at, at that time, because yeah. that's what those texts are about, and celebrate those aspects of the text very much mm. so. And I hope that that's what I give to the pupils as well yeah. when, we, when we teach text. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if language is even more... Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's in the same way that you don't want to forget about history, um, you don't want to forget about the meaning of the words. Oh, yeah. And so I think in a way studying, I mean, I don't, you know, we don't study any text with, the, with these um, kinds of slurs in, in French, obviously, because we don't have the same slurs, quite simply. <laughs> um, but um, I think reassigning the meaning to the word 
And because a lot of people who would unconsciously, well, wouldn't think and just use those slurs don't actually know the meaning or don't comprehend the actual meaning and the severity of it to say, when you are using this word, you are referring to uh, the history of a, you know, in the, in the, um, if we look at the N word, you're referring to a history of slavery and exploitation of a, a whole people and torture and torture really? murder that was started sorry but yeah. by western countries <laughs> including yeah. this one and including others and so you are if you're using this without thinking and without when you use it you should use it again because it has meaning and because if you put it back in this literature analysis, if you put it back into that time, then yes, it is maybe an appropriate word to use at this time to say, you know, this was what was happening at the yeah. time. However, in our environment now today, this is absolutely not something mm. that you should use. And these are the reasons why. And by helping them empathize with 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 what were the lives of of these people and what 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 did actually happen and what what was the horror of this mm-hmm. um then you you actually understand the weight of that yeah. word and you don't definitely. use it it's, as easily it's, it's definitely about being educated on what these words mean and where they've come from and the history of these words because most of the time people who say it they go oh but it's just a word do you know what i mean yeah and when when you hear that, knowing that you've now researched into it because it personally affects you, or maybe it doesn't, but you're still like interested as to why it is like a word that you just don't say, when people turn around and they're kind of like ignorant and they just go, nah, nah, it's just a word. It, it really does hurt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. I think a decent example of that on a similar note is um, KSI. <laughs> a couple of oh, months gosh. ago, he used a slur... Young people thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's We're a British YouTuber. <laughs> um, very popular, I guess. I don't personally yeah. watch him, but I, I was on Twitter and you you see the classic apology for using a racial slur. And it was um, against Pakistanis. So, um, but also, it, I he, the thing is, he understands his influence on he does. people, he does. which is why... he's recovered from it. And I do say that with quotations, but he, he's still got a massive following. He's still making millions and millions of pounds, but he understood his influence and what, how he could say could cause harm. And yet he still said it and chose to post it. And like, and he knew it was going to get millions and millions of views and it did. And it obviously hurt a lot of people and he did his apology and then he moved on with his life. And I don't think that's how it should be. I, I don't necessarily agree with cancel culture in most cases because it's really harmful. But yeah. I think, I I don't think that he, I don't think he acknowledged how much like the harm he could use, like he could provide with saying something like that. Yeah. I so. feel like um, being an influencer you have to take into consideration on all accounts, the yeah. people who are watching you and who are listening to you. Also impressionable young children who exactly. watch KSI. Oh my God. Like it spread around schools immediately. Probably. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, 
the minute someone, well, let's say like a very impressionable young person now hears someone who they kind of look up to and like see them as like some sort of hero who's, you know, boxing legend or whatever you want to call Makes money from drinks. Yeah, like literally. Lemonade. If they now hear him using a slur and even though they've been told, oh, no, 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 like you're not meant to say that. If they hear someone as big as him yeah. with such a big influence say that, they go, oh, it's fine. Also, like, he is a person of colour. Exactly. So people might not understand the idea that but he's saying it so it's fine but yeah. it's obviously mm-hmm. not yeah. um but moving on from that slightly we we have a prime minister who is a person of color mm-hmm. which has not happened before ever and i actually think overall the country has not made a big deal out of it which I kind of really like mm. because it shouldn't really be a big... Like, I think it should obviously be acknowledged, but it should just be another person becoming PM. And I think that's kind of what's happened. And so I was kind of shocked by that. If I'm completely honest, I mm. thought the country would go into uproar, but maybe I was thinking a bit more of America. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, they did celebrate it 100%. Oh, yeah. But it's like, I'm kind of happy to see that that's kind of considered the norm. Mm. because like I said before like Rishi is probably one of those people who would now pave the way for other members of yeah. like like other people of colour like minority groups to then stand up and like become prime yeah, minister definitely you know? like representation mm. it, yeah. it means a lot yeah. Yeah. yeah can I add a little caveat to that mm-hmm. or just a <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a little <laughs> as an outsider um I think um what also helps pave the way in this case is also social class. And so I think that it might be um, similarly to probably Barack Obama in the States. Like, yeah. if you've got, you know, the right education, right background, mm-hmm. even if, you know, you're a person of colour, you will still have access to these opportunities. Yeah. You will have some barriers, of course. Yeah. But you will still have access to kind of the, the, the threshold yeah. that will lead you to those high political offices, um, which you wouldn't have in other, in you mm-hmm. know, for the majority of people of colour, that might not be the case. I so, feel like yeah. um, if, like, someone who ended up being, like, prime minister had come from living in, like, a, a council estate in, like, one of, like, the poorest places in London, mm-hmm. And then they have now come become prime minister and they've like gone through all these barriers that maybe like um, our current prime minister might not have had to face. Then the country would be like, oh my gosh, you know, let's celebrate this more. Because like you've come from what most would consider, you know, not like nothing. And you've made yourself into something like huge, like a prime minister. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I feel like that's why the country didn't go into as much uproar yeah, as people would probably yeah. expect. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's very Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I also wonder the extent to which um, politicians of colour feel the need or desire to advocate for other outsiders or other people of colour. I think that's an interesting question to kind of uh, think about or pose to those politicians of colour. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I thought that Rishi would be a good topic, seeing as we are talking about British society. But... Before we sign off, is there anything anyone wanted to add? Um, I think one of the things that I think is very important and it kind of ties in with a lot of the themes of this year is that um, it's excellent that things like this are happening because I think mm-hmm. it opens up 
the opportunity for empathy. I think yeah. empathy is huge. Not everybody can experience every um, uh, every experience that somebody else has yeah. had, but having a genuine desire to listen to, to digest rather than immediately respond to somebody else's experiences, that so you can have an understanding of that. Whether you have the answer to racism or not, that can go such a long way. 100%. So I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I also think just having definitely our generation as Gen Z has a much greater understanding of the idea of nature over nurture yeah. and how you're not born racist. Mm. It's something that is potentially taught to you. And so the idea that like people have been taught it is quite upsetting yeah in a lot of different ways and from lots of different perspectives but, I agree, yeah. yeah 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 i think also that on on the back of that what is also really important when someone is telling you their story and is sharing their experience um if you are a person not of that background not of that color um or, or any really protected characteristics mm -hmm. or anything um sometimes it's just about listening yeah um it's not about imposing your opinion it's not about solving the problem it's not about you re you rejiggling the narrative yeah. around what's happened to them um which which does happen sometimes which is why i'm mentioning this it's just a question of accepting that this is this person's experience they have analyzed it in this way you're welcome to offer your to offer your perspective but you know the bottom line is you're gonna have to accept that this is their experience and to if you have to retell it if you have to share it yourself this is just what it is you, yeah you cannot rewrite the story of someone else yeah um, yeah no, absolutely i agree yeah well thank you for sharing everyone yeah and thanks yeah thank you thank you very much